Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. I'm Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. Next week, Vicki Hoke, former CEO of the Home Care Association of America, will be celebrating her retirement during the HCOA National Conference. As she reflects back on her four years at the helm, she sees the pandemic as a defining feature. Welcome to the podcast. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Vicki, you are retiring from the CEO position at HCOA. What are your plans? First plan is probably to spend a little bit more time with family, especially my two grandchildren that mean the world to me. And also just take a pause and reflect back over the 25 plus years that I represented the home care industry and think about what was important and how I might be able to use some of those skills in my next chapter, but no definite plans right now. Why did you choose this time to give it up? I think everyone, and I've heard this from a lot of people, Liza, you just know when it's time. And one day I just thought, you know what, it's time. I think that the association is in a great place. Everyone that takes on a new position always wants to be able to say, it's better now than when I came, I left it in a better place. And I think I absolutely did. There is a great team at the Home Care Association of America that is very committed to the members. And I think that's really important. Everything we do in a trade association should be judged and evaluated on our members and what do they need and how are we being responsive to their needs. But I think the other thing that I always loved about representing the home care industry, especially HCAOA, was that, of course, our first priority was to our home care owners and to their staff. But secondly, it was to represent and advocate for the people we were caring for, which is so reflective in all of the legislative priorities that we're really pushing right now. Mm-hmm. Your time at the head of HCOA was really characterized by COVID. You came on board in November 2019, almost as if the pandemic was waiting for you. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. So reflecting on your tenure, what does stand out to you the most? You're correct. COVID stands out because it was almost three months to the day when I first started that COVID hit in March 2020. It's not the trap. Well, of course, I never want to forget the tragedy. No one will. But it also was a time where our association could prove its value to our members. And I think we did that. And that was tremendously powerful because when COVID hit, we needed to make certain that we were providing up to the minute information. And you remember back then, information was changing every single day. And then also to make certain that they had the most up-to-date medical information. So that's when we put together the medical advisory committee that actually gave our agencies protocols on how to conduct business if there was a home care aid with COVID or vice versa if there was a client with COVID. And it was important too when we finally got our PPE that we made sure that all of our agencies were able to get it advocating for home care to be essential workers, which was huge at the very beginning of COVID. And I think it was a time that it was, okay, now's the time to prove our value. And I think looking back, Liza, I'm very proud that I think we did that. Well, of course, the direct care workforce really became 
elevated in people's eyes during the pandemic. Do you think that that's one of your legacies? Yeah, well, I think we were, you know, I always think back right at the height of COVID, our partners over at Home Care Pulse did a consumer satisfaction survey as well as a caregiver satisfaction survey. Do you realize it was the highest we ever had? We had the best, the highest satisfaction level of our clients, of our caregivers at the height of the pandemic. And people will pause and think, well, what was that all about? You know what it was, Liza? We were communicating every day. We were doing our best to make sure our workers knew we had their back, telling our clients what we were going to do to protect their loved ones in their home, all the precautions. And I think that's really a lesson we never want to forget. The communication is so important. What did the challenge of COVID-19 teach you professionally and personally? How did it change you? Professionally, again, it made me realize, but I, I kind of knew it because that's why I've been in this business for so long, how valuable in-home care is. And I think COVID, while it was horrible, and we've all heard this, it really did shine a great spotlight on home care and our workers and what we were able to do. It just was, it kind of reinforced what I thought. And also it reinforced the fact that I always believed in my heart way back when I started in this field, I can't believe I'm saying this, in 2000, that home care is the best care. It's where you feel comfortable. It's where your family, your friends are around. It's your surroundings. So it just kind of reinforced all that. And it also said to me that this country really needs to understand that while we absolutely need nursing homes, we absolutely do, but that should be the last resort. We should try to keep people in their own homes, taking care of them, enabling them to be as independent as possible for as long as possible. So you're approaching your last conference. Yeah. In somewhat of a leadership capacity, you've yeah. already given the reins to your successor, Jason yes. Lee. But what will this conference mean to you and what will be your final message to your members? Well, even though I've been here four years, remember, this is my second conference because we had to cancel all those others during COVID. So this is just my second conference. And quite honestly, Liza, I'm just looking forward to being able to spend some time with our great members and just to thank them for all that they do, because where the Home Care Association is today is the result of our staff and of our volunteers our chapter leaders, our board, our committee members, no one does this alone. And we have absolutely made great strides in elevating home care. And when I say this sector lies, I want to qualify that. And I think it's because we've had some really wonderful leaders. What are you proudest of during your tenure? And I brought up the question of just legacy before. What do you think your legacy will be? I always want it to be the workers. I believe in, I've always been an advocate for workers, even back when I was heading up the Pennsylvania Home Care Association, doing whatever we can to elevate the profession. So we had the report that we partnered with NAC on. It gave some great solutions. We know that immigration has got to be dealt with if we're going to really address this workforce shortage. So I'm proud of just the constant, and this isn't just like once a year, this is constant reinforcing with our members how important their workers are. 
And I think one indication of that is this year in Chicago, we will be recognizing the Caregiver of the Year. And you know what's really amazing? We had 500 nominees, 500. Four years ago, I want to say we had 15. And this year we had 16 finalists. And it was one of the best memories will be just a couple weeks ago, if not maybe a, a month ago, we held a focus group with all 16 virtually. And it is always amazing to me. First of all, they love to express their opinion. They are not bashful. And we were on the phone for two hours. And guess what? When we asked about things like what makes you love your job? Why do you continue to work in this profession? Do you know in those two hours, there was not one mention of wages? Now, let me be quick to add, wages are important. But what I'm saying to you is these 16 finalists, which I would view them as cream of the crop, one theme kept coming up over and over again. And that was, I feel like my home care manager or my owner has my back. I can call them at any time they pick up the phone. And I'm just wondering, I mean, it makes you wonder, is this what we need to continue to do? And sure, these are folks that were nominated by probably the best of the best agencies. They're doing the right thing, but I think it's just a really good reminder that we need to make sure that we treat our individuals with value. And the other thing they kept saying, we want the public to understand how valuable we are. We're tired of being called babysitters. We want them to recognize how we keep Mrs. Jones out of the hospital or how I was able to take a veteran to a Veterans Day ceremony, you know, all of those things. So that was that was pretty cool. And I guess the other moment that I remember so well was just this last March was our first advocacy day on Capitol Hill. The COVID hit, so we were delayed. And this advocacy was such a success, 27 states representing. We had over 100 meetings with legislators, and we were carrying a message. And it was a simple message. And there was just great energy. And I am sure that the staff and Jason will continue that. And hopefully next year, they'll be able to double the attendance. One of the issues that you worked very hard on was creating uniform standards for mm -hmm. caregivers across states. How far do you think you were able to go in attaining this issue? And what remains to be conquered in this area? Well, that's probably an area that I leave thinking we made a little bit of progress, but not enough. I think if home care wants to be recognized as a healthcare provider, which I believe everyone does, that's why we fought for being that essential worker, then there has to be requirements. Then there has to be, right now, you know this lies the worst state requirements, but only in 30 states. And also, if we also believe that direct care workers, that profession needs to be elevated, well, the only way is to say, okay, you're working for a licensed entity, right? And so it kind of goes hand in hand. And so I think that industry has got to make a decision. Now, in absence of that, you know, the Home Care Association did a code of conduct that for those states that don't have license, we asked our members to look at this code of conduct, you know, setting out some guiding principles. And if they follow them, they get the code of conduct. That's kind of like an interim. But I think consumers deserve this. And yet, I completely understand the hesitation of many of those states. 
because there is the fear of burdensome regulations and getting in the way of care. So I understand that, but I think there's a happy medium. Mm -hmm. What will be the biggest challenges your successor, Jason Lee, will be confronting, do you anticipate? I think that, the regulations, I think other, you know, the other big thing that we didn't really get off the ground, but we're working on it is if we're going to be seen as a credible healthcare provider, we have to have set standards of care, but we also have to have standards, you know, set data points that we can prove that we're valuable. And as you know, with 20 states licensing us differently, that's never going to happen. And so I would hope that they continue to figure out a way to do a demonstration project on data collection to prove, and I have no doubt, I really don't, that mm -hmm. they can prove that personal care does indeed impact reduced hospitalizations, reduction in falls, infections, all of those things. Yeah, well, it strikes me every day how much the healthcare system is really starting to make the connections between social determinants of health and hospitalizations and exactly. rehospitalizations and falls and yeah. all those other things. We're just a little slow in the uptick, but you know, everything that's good takes time. I always say that. And that's the same thing with Medicare Advantage plans and paying for in-home support. I keep telling our members, be patient. They're not used to dealing with non-medical kinds of providers, but I believe that it's happening. And that's been very gratifying. Mm -hmm. So you feel confident that Medicare Advantage is only going to be doing more in the non-medical home care space. I do. It's one of the most popular supplemental services that they're offering right now. We have over a thousand plans offering in-home support. But again, that is a, a really good example of, well, they'll do this, but they would do it faster if we could come to them and say, look, pay for four hours of personal care every other day or whatever and look what happens. And that's what we have to get to. Mm -hmm. What are you most concerned about for the future of your membership? Well, I think when you look at our industry, we have about 26,000 home care agencies across the country. And when I say that, I mean the non-medical personal care agencies. We're kind of coming in on 5,000 member agencies, which is great. We've had wonderful increase in our membership but I think we need more because the more voices we have, we can move that advocacy needle of getting some standards of care and also getting some standards of training for our home care aides. That's just as important too, so that our home care aides can go to different states and have a certificate. And just having that certificate would elevate the profession. So I think we need to do a better job in being an advocate for this type of care. And that's going to take creating partnerships at the national level, whether that's with AARP, the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, Leading Age, NAC, all of them coming together. And I'm starting to see that. And so that's been gratifying as well. I just wanted to ask you about that, another issue, which is that proposed rule that yeah, right. would require that 80% of Medicaid payments go to caregiver wages. Right. What are you thinking about? Well, that was a great example of us working together with the National Association for Home Care, with the Medicaid partnership, and we are still meeting on a weekly basis 
And I know that the group met with the White House staff the other week, and then I met also with uh, President Biden's healthcare assistant. And we started the conversation up by saying, we agree. We've got to do something about wages. We've got to figure out how to have Medicaid reimbursements sufficient enough to pay workers a living wage. And so I think having all those groups, having them all together, speaking in one voice is going to help. And I know that collaboration is still going on. And so I think that will be a really good challenge to undertake with all those great partnerships. So after the conference, this will be kind of your swan song, right? It will, yeah. So what's the first thing you're going to do? I'm going to probably come home and I'm a walker. So I walk about five, six miles a day. And so I'll take a great walk in the woods here in Pennsylvania, which I thoroughly love. And really just reflect on how grateful I am for the opportunity to have led such a tremendous industry and all of the wonderful friendships that I have been able to make. And just, just be grateful. And that's it. Well, I have a feeling that advocacy and hopefully home care has not seen the last of Vicki Hope. Very kind of you. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Liza. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.